Welcome back to Bible Time, 1 Thessalonians 5.10. Here, this is a continuation of the sentence in verse 9, which says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, comma, verse 10, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Father, in Jesus' name, bless your word, bless the preaching of your word, bless the hearing of your word, and bless us with strength and power and desire to do your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in 1 Thessalonians 5, this is the link here between all the verses in the end times. The climax we saw yesterday in chapter 5 and verse 9 that we're not appointed to wrath. Now we're in the closing statements of this apostolic teaching by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking through the holy man of God, Paul the Apostle, teaching of death, resurrection, rapture, if you'll call it that, or the catching away of the church, and wrath, all of this is brought... Has brought our focus more clearly than ever on Jesus Christ, as all of the Word of God is designed by God to give glory to God, to the Son of God, Jesus Christ the righteous. This purpose then is consistent with Scripture. All preaching, all Scripture, all teaching of the Bible should bring the attention of the people being taught to Christ. Anything that is taught in the Word of God that points the one that is being taught to history, to geography, to all these other things without bringing the focus back to Christ has failed in its entire purpose and is not given by God. Teaching of the Word of God that does not focus on Christ is wrong. Now, there are things in the Bible that when you teach on them, that it will not seem like the focus is on Christ. Necessarily, but if you are teaching right and you are reading the Word of God in its context, it will not be long if you are rightly dividing the Word of Truth before it comes back around and the spotlight is once again on Jesus Christ. This whole book is about Jesus Christ. (coughs) Excuse me. This book starts speaking of Jesus Christ and it ends speaking of Jesus Christ. It starts with the words of Jesus Christ and ends with the words of Jesus Christ. You say, how so? In the beginning of Genesis, the God said, let there be light. That was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word spoke all things into existence. And the word was made flesh, it says in the first chapter of John, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus Christ begins the Bible speaking. He ends the Bible speaking. The Bible speaks of Christ. The Bible speaks Christ's words. The Bible brings the focus and the attention to Christ. Even the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus said, would not speak of his own, but would bring to your remembrance the things that I have taught you, said Christ, and that he would magnify the Son. The Holy Spirit of God, his ministry on earth is to bring into focus Jesus Christ. And here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 10, he says, who died for us, who died for us, that whether we live, whether we wake, that is to live or sleep, that is to die, we should live together with him eschatology as a study of prophecy alone is worse than useless to study end times prophecy without the study of Christ without Christ being central without Christ being foremost without Christ's purposes Christ's rewards Christ's work Christ's judgments Christ's promises Christ's plan for the redemption of the cursed earth and the fallen race of man without these things eschatology becomes useless useless. Its fancy name becomes a curse instead of a blessing. But when Christ becomes preeminent, when Christ becomes the central point, when Christ becomes the focus of what we're learning in eschatology, Jesus Christ then comes to the forefront and your fancy words and theologies and all your books and your movies and your videos and your seminars fall to the background. Christ surges to the foreground, to the forefront, and Christ preeminent above all lifted 
lifted up through all and in all takes center stage and then eschatology has fulfilled its purpose. Then theology has fulfilled its purpose. Then doctrine has fulfilled its purpose. The Bible says here who died for us. This puts prophecy in its place. Who died for us. This lets eschatology and your books gather dust. Who died for us. Christ alone is worthy of praise. Christ alone is worthy of glory. Christ alone is worthy of honor and exaltation and glory. Think of Jesus Christ. Think of him in the garden of Gethsemane. Think of how he was born of a virgin Mary. Think of how he existed before the heavens were of old. Think of how that by his word the heavens were of old. That Jesus Christ created all things and that by him all things consist that are in heaven and that are in earth. That Jesus Christ has spoken the very angels, angels themselves into existence. You can spend hours and days and weeks studying the beast in Revelation. You can study the four-faced cherubims. You can study the seraphims with their six wings. You can study all these creatures. You can study the animals in the book of Daniel. You can study all the types. You can look at the wonders of of the ram and the little horn and the great horn and and the seven heads and the ten horns and the little and the crown and the horn speaking great things. And you can get lost in the typology. You can get lost in all of the strange pictures. You can go to Ezekiel and read about the wheels full of eyes and how they move to and fro um, like lightning. They snap from one place to another. And you can read about all these pictures and all these things that God uses to try and give us understanding of to successfully give us the opportunity to learn of spiritual truth through physical analogies. And you can look at these things and get lost in them. And But if you lose sight of Christ, you've lost sight of the whole picture. The whole thing has fallen. Focus on Christ. Get your eyes on Christ, your hope in Christ. Here he says of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Think of Jesus Christ who born of the Virgin Mary lived a perfect sinless life, who was falsely accused, who was kissed by Judas. And he said, friend, betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss? And they took Jesus and let him away to Caiaphas and and Annas and they falsely accused Christ. They lied on him. They beat him. They whipped him. They bruised him. They put the purple robe upon him there with Pilate's band when they took him to Pilate for a mock trial, a monkey court. They took him there and they beat him and they put the robes on his bloody back and they tore the robes off of his back. They took him to the cross and they nailed him on the cross. See him there on the cross, lashed and beaten and bruised and pierced. See him breathing short struggling gasps sighing in pain groaning in agony as the separation from his father rends his heart and he's doing it for your sins see him on the cross dying for your sins think about the tomb that they laid in laid him in a new tomb hewn out of the stone that belonged to joseph of arimathea three days later he rose from the dead and he ever lives to make intercession for us he was seen of many of the disciples but he was not seen of that unbelieving crowd. He would not deign to show himself to them. And by the way, when he does show himself to them, their knees will bow and their tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our purpose in church, our purpose Christians is whether we wake or sleep that we should live together with Him. Our purpose is not that we should scavenge. Our purpose is not that we should scrounge and prep and stockpile and evade and hide and worry and fret. Our purpose is to live. We are called to live, to live with Him. There are three great applications to this truth that's preached here in this text today of how the Lord Jesus Christ died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should should live together with him. The first of these applies to basic reality. The basic reality of waking being living and sleeping being death. Go back in your context to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That means dead. We studied that in detail. You can go back if you need to and pull it out of the archive there online. 
Um, but you can also just study the context for yourself. See what the Bible says about sleeping. Not that their soul is sleeping, but rather this term is used as a gentle human expression to describe a terrifying, devastating reality of the separation of the body and the soul and spirit so that no longer is the body inhabited. And when you take that loved one who has died and their body is cold and gray and lifeless, their spirit and their soul are gone and not present. The Paul the Apostle said that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when you die, your body separates from the soul and the spirit, or rather the soul and spirit separate from the body. And this frightful reality is something that brings grief, it brings shock, it brings anguish to the hearts of us human beings here on earth, especially as we have a temporal body and a temporal life and temporal loved ones and we're we're looking to our loved ones and we're looking to our mommy, our daddy, our brother, our sister, our spouse. We're looking to these people around us, our friends. We can't see their soul. We can't see their spirit. We see their body. And when we see that body fade away and that body fades into death and their eyes are closed for the last time and their breath ceases in their lungs and their blood stops circulating through their body and their skin grows cold and clammy and and um, colorless or gray depending on the hue of your skin in life no matter what color your skin is while you're living it looks more dead when you die whether you're a black man a yellow man a red man a white man it doesn't matter what color you are when you die there's a color of death that seeps in and a dead man looks different than a living man and we see those physical changes to the dead and those physical changes bring grief. Those physical changes bring heartache. Those physical changes may bring fears. But God says here in his word, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive, and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. The basic reality that is being spoken of and spoken to here in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 10 is the raw reality of life and death that whether we literally are alive or whether we literally are dead that we should live together with him and here in this verse is the embodiment of the hope of the believer that whether we wake or whether we sleep we should live together with him there's that saying that the body once laid in the grave is just my house I'm not here anymore I've left my house we talk in these kinds of manners as Christians speaking about the body because of this blessed hope of the resurrection of the dead, the blessed and real and real, uh, the real and sincere hope that we have that is founded in the word of God, that they that believe in me shall never taste death, said Jesus Christ. That's why the Christian often uses the word sleep, fallen asleep to regard those who have died because they have not truly died. Now that body is that which is referred to as having fallen asleep. Those that would teach that the soul has fallen asleep have no scriptural foundation for it. Only the twisted remains of scriptures rested from their context to teach false doctrine. The Bible here speaking of these that sleep is speaking of those whose bodies have, have taken on a manner of sleep, have ceased from function, have ceased from vitality. The spirit and the the soul have soared on to glory. A lost man, when he dies, his body, in a, in a way, goes to sleep as well. His soul and his spirit plunges into the depths of the bottomless pit, into the depths of hell, where he suffers in torment and fire and flame until that day that his body will be called back to life, called to awaken from the dead, and where God will put back every molecule of his body in his place, and he will stand before God 
and give account at judgment. But the literal physical body of literal physical people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, though it sleeps in the grave, though the body, the cells, the molecules break down, dust thou art and unto dust thou shalt return. Yet one day the voice of God, the voice of the archangel with God, the sound of the trumpet will raise that body from death and this mortal shall put on immortality. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. We'll touch a couple of these verses real quick and we'll look at the next aspect of this waking and sleeping here that we should live unto him. Here in 1 Corinthians 15, one of the greatest passages of scripture on the resurrection of the body. He says here, some will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Verse 36, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. There is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Some of you have lost the trail. You've gone off the track here. What is celestial? What is terrestrial? Terrestrial deals with terra, which is a Latin word for earth. So terrestrial means a earthly body. Everybody here today that has an earthly body, I want you to raise your right hand and wave it at me. That is your terrestrial body. You are waving your terrestrial body. The glory of the terrestrial is one. The glory of the terrestrial body might be beautiful, long flowing hair on a lady. It might be long eyelashes and beautiful sparkling eyes. It might be a slim figure and um, all of the things that go along with that. For a man, it might be a strong chest and broad shoulders. It might be a square jaw and the body held in a good carriage an ability to lift great weight, to run fast, to throw far, to dive deep, to do great things with the body. This is the glory of the terrestrial body. But he says here there are celestial bodies and there are terrestrial bodies. Celestial deals with the sky, deals with the universe, deals with beyond the universe, what the Bible calls heaven. Celestial deals with heavenly. There's a company that sells tea and it's called Celestial. And what they're saying is that their tea is heavenly. Now, I don't think that they really actually understand celestial or they're just making a play on words. How about you? Their tea is not anything like what we'll have in heaven. It's going to be better in heaven. They have a terrestrial tea, but they have named it celestial to try and get your money to try and make you think that it's extra special tea. So they've called it heavenly tea, celestial. So here he says the glory of the terrestrial body is one and the glory of the celestial is another. Or it's actually, he says it in the opposite. The glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Your celestial body, your heavenly body will outshine your earthly body. All of the attainments, all of the strengths, all of the blessings, all of the beauties, all of the greatness of your earthly body cannot match what is coming in heaven. It says here in verse 41, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Get this right here. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Now the spiritual body is still a real body, but it is not any longer a natural body. Jesus Christ came back from the dead and he could walk through walls and doors and appear wherever he wanted to appear and do whatever he wanted to do without the limitations that your natural body currently has. The spiritual body will be greater than the natural body. Now that the spiritual body was a real body as evidenced by the fact that Jesus said, handle me and see a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. So to say that his spiritual body was 
purely spiritual would be a fallacy and an error. Jesus's spiritual body was still a real literal body, though it was a spiritual resurrected body. And as he is, so are we in the world, the Bible says, but that's speaking of our spiritual state. And when we see him, we shall be like him is a better verse for that. When we see him, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And what God is going to do in the resurrection is to give you a spiritual body fashioned like as to his own spiritual body. Now here in verse 45, he says, and so it is written, the first man was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth earthy. We could say there, the first man is of the earth terrestrial, earthy. That's the idea that he's conveying by the word terrestrial. The second man is the Lord from heaven, which is celestial. So the second man is the Lord that Jesus Christ from heaven, again affirming that Jesus Christ was not a created being, that his origin is heaven, as the, the his origin the, in the earth came from heaven, not from Mary herself. That's what that is teaching. As the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Look at verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. You cannot go to heaven in your terrestrial body. Everybody wave your right hand of your terrestrial body at me. That body that you are waving at me cannot go to heaven. Do you hear me today? That body cannot go to heaven. Corruption does not inherit incorruption. Verse 51, but I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the cor- this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting. Oh, grave, where is thy victory? When you see a beloved born again believer that has run their race and they have followed Christ and they die in this body of flesh and their body is laying there gray and cold, you will be tempted to be brokenhearted. You'll be tempted to weep and to mourn and to cry and to sob and say, Oh God, why could this happen? But let me ask you a question. When you find the nasty old shell of one of those cicada larvae that crawls up out of the dirt every year out here in the Ozarks and it fastens itself to a wall and then inside it bursts out to the outside and what was inside comes out as a cicada that flies around and in its case as a cicada annoys everybody all the time all through the summer with its loud chirping but they are now a flying creature that has much greater glory than the little crawling bug that only existed in the earth when you see a moth that was once a little worm crawling around on the ground and then it made a chrysalis or it made a cocoon in a case of a moth and that little cocoon then inside there it changed and it put on a different glory and it split open its cocoon and flew out as a moth would you stand there weeping gazing at the cocoon Would you hold the crust of the larvae cicada and stand there weeping as if that was the cicada? It is not. The mortal will put off 
mortality and put on immortality. When a born-again Christian dies, this body, wave, wave that right hand, this body will die like the cocoon. But the believer who has trusted in Jesus Christ, you can put your hands down. Thank you for your cooperation. The believer who has trusted in Christ, whether he wakes or lives or sleeps, whether he wakes or sleeps, will live together with Christ. And though you cannot see the soul in the spirit because you are still in your mortal flesh and you still have earthly eyes, it is nevertheless just as true and just as much reality that that believer is soaring in heavenly places with God. A new creature manifested in a new glorified, new glorified spiritual existence. One day to be reconciled with, a, with the resurrected body. The body is laying in the dust. Perhaps it's burnt in a fire. Perhaps it's crushed in a car wreck. Whatever happens to the body, the body that is laying in the ground and decomposes that the worms eat is not the person. It is only the house, the enclosing, the casing of the person. Now, we love that casing because that is how we recognize the person. We look down there and we see the face that used to light up, that used to smile, that used to talk, that used to give instructions, the face that used to help, the face that used to cry, the face that used to weep, and it lays there asleep, it lays there in death, and you look there and you're tempted to mourn and you're tempted to grieve because you see there that you recognize the one that you loved, but the one that you loved is not there is not there. You have to believe God. We walk by faith and not by sight. They're not there. Do you hear me today? Not there. That's not them. That's only their body. This is the practical reality that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him as it applies to our basic reality here on earth. This causes the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say, O death, look at verse 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This gives the Christian hope. This gives the Christian ability to go forward in the face of trial, in the face of persecution, in the face of threatening, in the face of death, and to give his life or her life to the master and sell out for Christ because this life is only temporal, only temporary. And when they have killed this body, when they have destroyed this body, when they have burnt this body and maybe even the bones burnt to ashes, nevertheless, in my flesh, I shall behold the Lord because he will resurrect my body. My spirit and my soul will be with God. And then one day at that last trump, the trump shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah. This is the practical reality that whether we wake or sleep, we should live with him. This applies secondly to eschatology. Whether we wake or sleep, we should live with him eschatology gets lost in all the types it gets lost in analogies it gets lost in the mysteries it gets lost in the smoke and mirrors of theologians struggles for superiority one with another trying to prove who's smarter than the other trying to come out with something more um, thrilling something more exciting and try and bring get more followers to themselves but eschatology and its reality should point to Christ because whether we wake or sleep we should live to Gather with him. Someone out there that believes that they're going through the tribulation is wrong. They're not if they're born again. A born again believer that is um, truly saved. God's going to take them out before the tribulation. That's what I believe. And I believe it, that I can support that from scripture. If you disagree with me, did you know that if I'm right, you're still going to get caught up to meet the Lord in the air before the tribulation, even if you're wrong about your eschatology? 
And did you know that if I am wrong and if I have missed things, I've missed things before. There's some things in the Bible that are pretty plain. And I believe God is very plain in his order of events. Now, the exact timing of those events he has left is a mystery. But the order of the event, events, I believe, is very plain. If I am wrong, did you know that it doesn't matter? Because whether I wake or sleep, my goal and my entire drive in life is to live together with him. When you get so lost in eschatology that you're no longer living with Christ and instead you're living for the last days and you're prepping and you're scavenging and you're scrounging and you're putting back food stores and you're trying to build a better bunker and you're trying to keep things secret from other people and hide your family and hide your people from this world and you're worried about maybe the microchip is the mark of the beast, you have missed eschatology. You've missed the per- any biblical purpose of it. Actually, you've grasped eschatology from a theological sense, but you've missed biblical prophecy and its purpose, which is to point you to Christ. We are called by God to be looking for Christ's coming, looking to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God from henceforth expecting until his enemies be made his footstool. Your purpose in end times prophecy. The reason God put it in the Bible is so that you can have comfort that whether you wake or whether you sleep, you should live together with him. This is the true purpose of all eschatology, of all biblical prophecy in the word of God is to turn your eyes to Jesus Christ. To get your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Eschatology so-called that gets you focused on the kingdom instead of the king is false. Eschatology that gets you focused on the beast, the antichrist, the mark of the beast, fulfillment of prophecy, the drying up of Euphrates River. If all of these things are what thrill your soul, you have missed it. All that thrills my soul is Jesus, the song says. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. I understand the thrill of seeing end times events starting to transpire and come together so that we see the acceleration of the times. But what is the thrill in? Is the thrill in being right? Is the thrill in uncovering mysteries? Or is the thrill in the Savior who is coming soon? Ask yourself, examine yourself today. So the first application of this text is as it applies to basic reality as we live in this life. The raw reality of life and death. The heart ceasing to beat. The second application is, as it applies to eschatology, that whatever your understanding of the end times prophecies is, your main purpose is Christ. Whether we wake or sleep, whether caught up or left behind, whatever you think it is that's going to happen, the main drive and the main purpose of the book of Revelation and of every other book in the Bible is to set forth Christ and to spotlight Christ and to to exalt Christ and to turn our eyes and our focus on Christ. The third application takes from these other two applications and builds upon them because until you have laid to rest your physical state and until you have laid to rest your future state, you can never truly enter into the spiritual rest in this life that Jesus Christ intends you to enter into. The spiritual rest of the spirit-filled, victorious, Christian life. So our third application of this text is as it applies to the spirit-filled life of the victorious Christian, the victorious born-again believer. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, turn there. One of the greatest passages in the Bible. As you turn there, I'll read to you the text that we've been studying here. 1 Thessalonians 5.10, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. 
In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul, again, speaking as for God, as the mouthpiece of God, says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ. Look at this text. Look at it closely. To be crucified with Christ means to be dead. Our text says that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live in the one sense waking in the other sense sleeping. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Philippians chapter 3 is a parallel passage in many ways to what we're studying here in 1 Thessalonians. These truths are some of the greatest truths in the Bible, and I fear that I do not have what I need to properly bring these truths out. And in fact, I know that to be the case. So let's just pray again right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would open our understanding and help us, Lord, whether we wake or sleep, to live together with you. Help us, Lord, to enter into the death of Christ that we might enter into the life of Christ. Lord, please help us right now to do to preach this, Father, in a way that is understandable and in a way that people can grasp, Lord, and aspire to, that you might do this work in us that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. First um, Philippians 3, verse 7. Here he says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. Look at verse 10, that I may know him for Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You'll never truly know him until you become a, fe- a partaker of the fellowship of his sufferings and become a conformed to his death. All the time I meet people who say, I love Jesus, but they've never been conformed to his death. They're no partakers of his suffering. They have not died. They cannot say, as it says in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. They're still very much alive. Self is still very much alive. And because of this, they're not living together with him. Now we've looked at the practical application and the re- and the straight, rightly divided understanding of the text. Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him in the death and resurrection of the saints. But here we're going to take an application from that text. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. That God wants you in your waking life to live a sleeping life to this world. That as you are awake, alive in this world, so yet you should be dead in Christ as you are living in Christ so that you can be alive in Christ, though you be dead to Christ physically in a mortal body. I know this is hard to grasp, and it's hard to grasp because what it is, what is happening here in this doctrine is a weaving together of two realities. The reality of my physical life here on earth where I must eat, I must sleep, I must wash the dishes. I must work. I must labor working with my own hands. I must do the things that are set before me in this life in order to live. But while I am living, I am dead to Christ. While I am in the body, the the apostle said I'm absent from the Lord. To be in the body is to be absent from the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. But whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him 
And there's a reality here that God wants you to enter into as a born again believer. That when you are awake in this life, that you die to yourself. That you enter into the sufferings of Christ. Enter into the death of Christ. Die to yourself. How do you do that? Just exactly the way that Paul said to in Philippians 7. 3-7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I can, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ to die today to everything that makes you you, to die to your desires, to die to your wants, to die to the the human nature that wants to fulfill its own needs and to be satisfied and gratified in its basic needs that God has given it to lay those things in the dust at the foot of the cross and say, here am I, Lord, and put yourself on the cross with Christ. To die with Christ is to live with Christ. We'll see that as we read on here. Look at verse 11. If by any means, he says, I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, if it's true, and it is true that when you die, that it's only a matter of time as a believer before your body is raised incorruptible from the dead, then it would be reasonable to assume that Paul is saying here by meaning that he wants to attain unto the resurrection of the dead, that he is looking forward to physically dying. But if you read the text, that is not at all what he is saying. He's not looking forward to a physical death. What he is trying to attain... What he is trying and striving to reach is a position in his life where his own needs have become subjugated to the needs of God the Father and his own will has become subjugated to the will of God the Father and his own desires have have become subjugated to the desires of God the Father so that he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life Life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As he says in verse 9 of Philippians 3, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He wants to live as if he's already dead and resurrected. That's his goal. That's what he's going for. So often you hear these kinds of verses used as an excuse to continue in sin. Paul was not talking even about continuing in sin. He said of that in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But instead he is speaking here about his own desires dying to such an extent that he would not only not continue in sin, but that he would only continue in the perfect will of the Father. In perfect obedience to the Father, when we are raised from the dead in an incorruptible body and we stand before God and we see Him and this mortal puts on immortality, this corruptible puts on incorruption, I will see Him and I will be like Him because I have seen Him as He is. My old flesh nature will be done away. I will be like Christ. I will know Christ. I will walk with Christ. I will see Christ. Paul is saying, this is how I want to live my life today that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him that though I'm not in heaven yet I will lay in dust life's glory dead at the foot of the cross put my own self my own desires my own ambitions on the cross and let God make of me what he wants to make of me that I might attain Christ that I might win Christ that I might get involved in the fellowship of his sufferings being made conform unto his death. He says in verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul is saying he doesn't want to wait until he gets to heaven to start living heavenly. 
He wants to live now like he's in heaven. And he says, this is not something that I have already attained, not as though I had already attained. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things Uh, uh, to our shame today we have taken to preaching these kinds of passages where I have not already attained as if Paul is walking as an enemy of the cross of Christ and using these passages as an excuse and this is how they are used in our church houses as our pastors and our preachers and our deacons and our elders and our bishops and our presbyteries and our denominational boards and our missionaries and our evangelists walk as enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. But Paul here says in verse 24, our conversation is in heaven. He says what Paul is saying, I'm not walking the streets of earth. I am in my body, but in my soul and in my spirit, I'm already in heaven. I'm already walking in heaven and I'm battling, I'm fighting, I'm striving, I'm wrestling to bring my flesh to the cross of Calvary and to come into a place of such submission to Christ that my body obeys the dictates of the Father and does not stray one bit. When you get saved, there's many sins that should immediately be ceased. And without those sins being ceased, there's really no evidence that you truly got saved. When Paul talks about that which I would, I do not, and that which I would not, that do I, we often take that as an excuse for habitual, complete, continual, habitual, unrepentant sin. The Apostle Paul, when he says the good that I would, I do not, and that which I would not, that do I, I believe with all my heart is speaking of this kind of application right here. If you look at Romans 6, which we will, let's go there right now. If you look at Romans 6... Go ahead and go to Romans 6. I've got to read this. In Romans 6, we will see this, but um, I need to finish this passage first. Um, Philippians 3, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Even the vile body will be subdued. It will be altered. It will be changed. The dross will be burnt away. A new glorified body will be created to match the glorified spirit that was born by the Spirit of God whenever that man trusted Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Not of works of righteousness, but according to His own mercy, He saved us. Romans 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Here is the epistle of the spiritual application of 1 Thessalonians 5.10 of our, the speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with Him. He says in verse 4 of Romans 6, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father even so also should we, we should walk even so we also should walk in newness of life. 
This is the purpose of the Christian life, to walk in the newness of life that was imparted at salvation. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Skipping ahead to Romans 7. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while, so that, so then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. In like here, verse 4, wherefore, just like that, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Positionally, yes, already there, but practically that we should bring forth fruit unto God. This crucified life with Christ is preached positionally all over this country by people living in promiscuity who claim positionally the benefits that God said will practically bear fruit in your life if they are true positionally of you. Such is a farce. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. He says in verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law that being dead, wherein we were held that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now here he goes on to say that as this law revived and he died, as he tried to do the right thing, the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin, the good that he would, he did not, and that which he would not, that do I. So here's that great battle between the flesh and the spirit of the Christian who's been born again and saved all the way back in chapter 4 with imputed righteousness and settled with assurance in chapter 5 being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then who has been confronted with sin as a Christian and told not to sin and that he has no reason to sin, that the power of God is freedom from sin. And then into chapter 7, how he's dead to sin and crucified with Christ. But then here he, he expresses that that wicked flesh still rises up. That that wicked flesh still battles against the spirit so that he cannot do the things that he would not. <coughs> this brings us to Romans chapter 8. I'm not even going to teach all of this. We're, we're done here. We're just going to wrap this thing up here. But Romans chapter 8 and verse 10, I want you to see this. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Ye have, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. This is the, this is the whole summation of the whole Christian walk, of everything after salvation, is that our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. As we live in this life and are in a way dead to Christ, because our body is dead and therefore must be crucified, yet we live with Him positionally and spiritually, and His life flows through us, so that as we live in this flesh, listen, if you get nothing else, you got to get this. 
as you live your life in this flesh, your life in this flesh must be crucified that you might live the resurrected life while you're still alive in this flesh. Unless your flesh is dead and on the cross with Christ, you will live after the flesh. But if your flesh is on the cross with Christ, you can live the resurrected life, though you walk around alive in your flesh. Is that confusing enough? Probably is. It really doesn't make sense to the carnal mind. The only way this works is with two natures and with a resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A new nature, an old nature, and a resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Son, sent forth by the Father into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And hear this love for Christ that we should live together with Him, whether we wake or sleep. Listen and look at this. These two things complement each other. They're woven together. This is what it should be. Our life should be a seamless step from temporal to eternal if we're living with Christ the way that we should be. That's what this verse is expressing. Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. I should lay my head on my deathbed and close my eyes in death and open them in heaven without any great startling change in fellowship. Because my fellowship with Christ should be so great, the subjection of my flesh so complete, the crucifixion of my flesh so real, and the resurrection life of Christ so real in my living mortal body that when I die and step into heavenly places, it is only an expansion and a illumination of what is already real and vital and practical in my everyday life today. That whether I wake or sleep, we should live together with him. That in both states, whether I'm alive in a mortal body or whether I'm dead in my mortal body and separated from my flesh, which is moldering in the grave, that I should live together with him. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Father, in Jesus' name, forgive my stammerings, my stutterings, and make this truth real to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for myself right now that this should be true for me. Oh, Lord, that I might attain that which I have not attained, Lord, but that I might apprehend that for which I am also apprehended, Lord God, that my mortality would be swallowed up right now in your immortality, that I would live a crucified life, Lord, that I would live a sanctified and holy life, that I would live the resurrected life of Jesus Christ well on earth, and Lord, that I might step from this life into the next life, Lord, seamlessly and smoothly without the great turbulence that takes place when the flesh is what is most living in a Christian, Lord. But rather, Lord, that my death, Lord, would just be a step from the resurrected life of Christ on earth to the resurrected life of Christ in heaven. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. If that's your desire, if that's your desire, and you want to live that resurrected life, it will cost you all things Paul said, I have count all things but dung that I may win Christ. Will you turn from your flesh and your aspirations and your dreams? Will you lay your flesh there on the cross? And will you say, here am I, Lord. Fill me, use me, and submit yourself to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. If you're not saved, it won't work. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then be filled with the Holy Spirit of God as he's commanded you to and let the resurrected Christ live his life through you. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. If you're here or if you're listening online and you want this, I ask you right now to do business with God. Don't wait. Don't put it off. We're not going to stop the recording just yet. We're going to wait just a moment so that you have some time just to do business with God. If you want to live the resurrected life with Christ, if you want Jesus Christ to rule and reign over your flesh, if you want to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, if you are born again, which comes through faith alone in Jesus Christ, who died and was buried and rose again, then this is your birthright. This is your privilege. This is your promise. 
He said, if ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Father which is in heaven give the Holy Ghost to them that ask him? Forget about all your dry theology that says that this is impossible and reach out like Paul did for the impossible. Reach for the mark. Reach for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Enter into the sufferings of Christ and let the resurrection power of Christ flow through your life to this lost and dying world. Do it today. Follow Jesus today. He's calling you today. If that's been your heart's cry, if that's what you desire, then I want you to say with me as we close, in Jesus' name, amen.